0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org.
1: And I'm not Max, and she's not Maxine. Um, Max had some family uh, health issues that he needed to deal with, so I got an email this afternoon asking if I would come and talk. And that since I was at work, that didn't leave a lot of time to prepare. So I was um, kind of recollecting what's kind of been up for me, what's been kind of at the forefront of practice recently, and really as recently as last night. Um, Diane and I are both in a uh, Kalyana Mita group that meets uh, every two weeks, and we had a... Uh, Topic of discussion. And one of the things that I noticed both in myself and projecting onto the other members of the group was the the natural human tendency to select which teachings of the Buddha and practices of the Buddha follow our personal preferences. You know, how much do we kind of Approach, or one of the things that can happen, I certainly noticed this in myself, um, approaching this as kind of buffet Buddhism, you know, kind of picking and choosing which practices. It's like, oh, I like that one, or I like that teaching, and oh, I don't know about that. You know, that one's like, that seems too challenging, or maybe it's archaic, or something like that. Um, <clears throat> uh, one of my teachers, Tan Jeff, sometimes referred to um, practicing in this way as kind of designer dharma. You know, we're kind of creating our own dharma to kind of um, conform to what is comfortable for us, you know, what's understandable for us. Um, And, you know, there's probably some value to that, but there's also a way in which that um, leads to us avoiding the very challenges that will really lead us to greater freedom. So, um, after our sitting last night uh, this mo- this afternoon, I was you know contemplating that, and I remember there's a teaching, there's a sutta that the Buddha taught called the Kalama Sutta, and it was a teaching that he gave to a group of people who weren't his disciples but thought that he was a wise person who might help them deal with all of the um, conflicting teachings that, you know, various teachers would kind of come through the town and, you know, teach various different things. And sometimes not only would they not exactly jibe with each other, sometimes, you know, the, first, the second teacher would disparage the first teacher, like, oh, don't listen to that guy. And he's really off, you know, off. And so they wanted, so they knew that the Buddha was uh, reputed to be wise, and so they decided to approach him with, and ask for guidance on trying to sort through some of this. So, um, So I thought tonight, diana and i will read that sutta to you the kalama sutta it's it's very important um i think to really help keep us from getting too um too much into this you know rolling your own dharma so to speak you know it's it's like uh, you know really making sure that we get exposed to the to the deep uh practices and wisdom that are available and it's all the other thing about this suit is it's often misquoted people really like the part that talks about relying on your own sense of what's right and wrong and not some of the other parts and um, so I'd like I'd like for us to, to read it to you um, I'll be the narrator, who I think is classically Ananda. right? Ananda. And I'll also be the, the Kalamas, the voice of the Kalamas. And Diana will be the Buddha. So what I'd like you to do, well, so first of all, have, have any of you heard of the Kalama Sutta? Okay. Um, a couple of you have. Um, so actually this is good then. So you'll You'll be able to hear the whole thing and not just the um, the version, the, the parts of it that people like to quote, but the whole thing. So it'd be helpful in doing this kind of doing this as kind of a a listening meditation of taking a, a meditative posture, a, a, a posture that's not only comfortable but that actually brings a certain alertness to your body. You know, so that. Um, this listening isn't this listening is just being attentive and just receiving the sound receiving the words and letting them you know enter and get processed you there's nothing that you you know you don't have to go out and grab the words or you know tense up around it it's just um and um this is somewhat extemporaneous we haven't actually practiced this so um, we're we'll, um we're doing our best okay, okay
0: yes, can can you hear me yes okay so good evening as Jim said I'm Diana Clark and uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you all thank you and maybe I'll, I'll just say a word about suttas in general for um, a few hundred years after the time of the Buddha, these teachings were maintained, um, not by writing down, but by chanting. So this would be monks that would be chanting and memorizing them and chanting them together. So there's a lot of repetition in suttas. So for us and today in the world of tweets and you know instant fast things, the suttas are feel can feel a little bit awkward, but I invite you to imagine being in ancient India at a time where there are no books, no TV, no cars, no electricity, right There's nothing except what people say to each other, right There's storytelling and being in nature and It's just a different way that they used to um, experience the world and to communicate things. So I invite you to imagine what would that be like if you weren't constantly stimulated with all these things that we have, but instead this is what you heard. And, And this way the repetition can kind of take on a certain rhythm and a certain ease to it. So maybe with that as an intro... We'll Thank you, Tanina. Okay.
1: I have heard that on one occasion the Blessed One, on a wandering tour among the Kosalans with a large community of monks, arrived at Kesaputa, a town of the Kalamas. The Kalamas of Kasaputa heard it said, Gotama the the contemplative, the son of the Sakyans, having gone forth from the Sakyan clan, has arrived at Kasaputa, And of that, Master Gotama, this fine reputation has spread. He is indeed a blessed one, worthy and rightly self-awakened, consummate in knowledge and conduct, well gone, a knower of the cosmos, an unexcelled trainer of those persons ready to be tamed, teacher of human and divine beings, awakened, blessed. He is made known, having realized that through direct knowledge, this world with its devas, maras, and brahmas, its generations with their contemplatives and brahmins, their rulers and common people, has explained the Dhamma admirable in the beginning, admirable in the middle, admirable in the end has expounded the holy life both in its particulars and, its, and in its essence. Entirely perfect, sur- surpassingly pure. It is good to see such a worthy one. So the Kalamas of Kesaputa went on to, went to the Blessed One. On arrival, some of them bowed bowed down to him and sat to one side. Some of them exchanged courteous greetings with him and, after an exchange of friendly greetings and courtesies, sat to one side. Some of them sat to one side, having saluted him with their, palm, with their hands palm to palm over their hearts. Some of them sat to one side, having announced their name and clan. Some of them sat to one side in silence. As they sat there, the Kalamas of Kesaputa said to the Holy One, Lord, there are some Brahmins and contemplatives who come to Kassaputa. They expound and glorify their own doctrines, but as for the doctrines of others, they deprecate them, revile them, show contempt for them, and disparage them. And then other Brahmins and contemplatives come to Kesaputta. They expound and glorify their own doctrines, but as for the doctrines of others, they deprecate them, revile them, show contempt for them, and disparage them. They leave us absolutely uncertain and in doubt. Which of these venerable Brahmins and contemplatives are speaking the truth, and which ones are lying?
0: Of course you are uncertain, Kalamas. Of course you are in doubt. When there are reasons for doubt, uncertainty is born. So in this case, Kalamas, don't go by reports, by legends, by traditions, by scripture... By logical conjecture, by inference, by analogies, by agreement through pondering views, by probability, or by the thought, this contemplative is our teacher. When you know for yourselves that these qualities are unskillful, these qualities are blameworthy, these qualities are criticized by the wise, These qualities, when when adopted and carried out, lead to harm and to suffering, then you should abandon them. What do you think, Kalamas, when greed arises in a person? Does it arise for welfare or for harm?
1: For harm, Lord.
0: And this greedy person, overcome by greed, her mind possessed by greed, kills living beings, takes what is not given, goes after another person's husband, tells lies and induces others to do likewise, all of which is for long-term harm and suffering.
1: Yes, Lord.
0: Now, what do you think, Kalamas? When aversion arises in a person, does it arise for welfare or for harm?
1: For harm, Lord.
0: And this aversive person, overcome by aversion, his mind possessed by aversion, kills living beings, takes what is not given, goes after another person's wife, tells lies, and induces others to do likewise, all of which is for long-term harm and suffering.
1: Yes, Lord.
0: Now, what do you think, Kalamas? when delusion arises in a person? Does it arise for welfare or for harm?
1: For harm, Lord.
0: And this deluded person, overcome by delusion, her mind possessed by delusion, kills living beings, takes what is not given, goes after another person's husband, tells lies, and induces others to do likewise, all of which is for long-term harm and suffering. Yes, Lord. So, what do you think, Kalamas? Are these qualities skillful or unskillful?
1: Unskillful, Lord.
0: Blameworthy or blameless?
1: Blameworthy, Lord.
0: Criticized by the wise or praised by the wise?
1: Criticized by the wise, Lord.
0: When adopted and carried out, do they lead to harm and to suffering or not?
1: When adopted and carried out, they lead to harm and suffering. That is how it appears to us.
0: So, as I said... Kalamas, don't go by reports, by legends, by traditions, by scripture, by logical conjecture, by inference, by analogies, by agreement through pondering views, by probability, or by the thought, this contemplative is our teacher. When you know for yourselves that these qualities are unskillful, These qualities are blameworthy. These qualities are criticized by the wise. These qualities, when adopted and carried out, lead to harm and to suffering. Then you should abandon them.
1: Thus was it said, and in reference to this was it said.
0: Now, Kalamas, don't go by reports, by legends by traditions, by scripture, by logical conjecture, by inference, by analogies, by agreement through pondering views, by probability or by the thought, this contemplative is our teacher. When you know for yourselves that these qualities are skillful, these qualities are blameless, these qualities are praised by the wise these qualities, when adopted and carried out, lead to welfare and to happiness. Then you should enter and remain in them. So, what do you think, Kalamas? When lack of greed arises in a person, does it arise for welfare or for harm?
1: For welfare, Lord.
0: And this ungreedy person not overcome by greed her mind not possessed by greed doesn't kill living beings take what is not given go after another person's husband tell lies or induce others to do likewise all of which is for long term welfare and happiness
1: yes lord
0: what do you think kalamas when lack of aversion arises in a person does it arise for welfare or for harm?
1: For welfare, Lord.
0: And this unaversive person not overcome by aversion, his mind not possessed by aversion, doesn't kill living beings, take what is not given, go after another person's wife, tell lies, or induce others to do otherwise, all of which is for long term welfare and happiness.
1: Yes, Lord.
0: What do you think, Kalamas? when lack of delusion arises in a person, does it arise for welfare or for harm?
1: For welfare, Lord.
0: And this undeluded person, not overcome by delusion, her mind not possessed by delusion, doesn't kill living beings, take what is not given, go after another person's husband, tell lies, or induce others to do likewise all of which is for long-term welfare and happiness. Yes, Lord. So what do you think, Kalamas? Are these qualities skillful or unskillful?
1: Skillful, Lord.
0: Blameworthy or blameless?
1: Blameless, Lord.
0: Criticized by the wise or praised by the wise?
1: Praised by the wise, Lord.
0: When adopted and carried out, do they lead to welfare and to happiness or not?
1: When adopted and carried out, they lead to welfare and to happiness. That is how it appears to us.
0: So, as I said, Kalamas, don't go by reports, by legends, by traditions, by scripture, by logical conjecture, by inference, by analogies, by agreement through pondering views, by probability, or by the thought this contemplative is our teacher. When you know for yourself that these qualities are skillful, these qualities are blameless, these qualities are praised by the wise, These qualities, when adopted and carried out, lead to welfare and to happiness. Then you should enter and remain in them.
1: Thus was it said, and in reference to this, was it said.
0: Now, Kalamas. One who is a disciple of the noble ones, thus devoid of greed, devoid of ill will, undiluted, alert and resolute, keeps pervading the first direction, as well as the second direction, the third and the fourth, with an awareness imbued with goodwill. Thus, she keeps pervading above, below, and all around, everywhere, and in every respect, the all-encompassing cosmos with an awareness imbued with goodwill. Abundant, expansive, immeasurable, free from hostility, free from ill will. She keeps pervading the first direction as well as the second direction, the third and the fourth, with an awareness imbued with compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. Thus she keeps pervading above, below, and all around, everywhere, and in every respect, the all-encompassing cosmos with an awareness imbued with compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. Abundant, expansive, immeasurable, free from hostility, free from ill will. Now Kalamas, one who's a disciple of the noble ones, his mind thus free from hostility, free from ill will, undefiled and pure, acquires four assurances in the here and now. If there is a world after death, if there is the fruit of action, rightly and wrongly done, then this is the basis by which, with the breakup of the body after death, I will reappear in a good destination, the heavenly world. This is the first assurance she acquires. But if there is no world after death, if there is no fruit of actions rightly and wrongly done, then here in the present life, I look after myself with ease, free from hostility, free from ill will, free from trouble. This is the second assurance she acquires. If evil is done through acting, still I have willed no evil for anyone. Having done no evil action, from where will suffering touch me? This is the third assurance he acquires. But if no evil is done through acting, then I can assume myself pure in both respects. This is the fourth assurance he acquires. One who is a disciple of the noble ones, her mind thus free from hostility, free from ill will, undefiled and pure, acquires these four assurances in the here and now.
1: So it is, blessed one, so it is, O one well gone. One who is a disciple of the noble ones His mind thus free from hostility, free from ill will, undefiled and pure, acquires four assurances in the here and now. If there is a world after death, if there is the fruit of actions rightly and wrongly done, then this is the basis by which, with the breakup of the body after death, I will reappear in a good destination, the heavenly realm, world. This is the first assurance he acquires. But if there is no world after death, if there is no fruit of action rightly and wrongly done, then here in the present life I look after myself with ease, free from hostility, free from ill will, free from trouble. This is the second assurance she acquires. If evil is done through acting, still I have willed no evil for anyone. Having done no evil action, from where will suffering touch me? This is the third assurance he acquires. But if no evil is done through acting, then I can assume myself pure in both ways. This is the fourth assurance he acquires. One who is a disciple of the noble ones, his mind thus free from hostility, free from ill will, undefiled and pure, acquires these four assurances in the here and now. Magnificent, Lord, magnificent, just as if he were here to place upright what was overturned, to reveal what was hidden, to show the way to one who was lost, or to carry a lamp into the dark so that those with eyes could see forms. In the same way has the Blessed One, through many lines of reasoning, made the Dhamma clear. So go we go to the Blessed One for refuge to the Dharma and to the Sangha of monks. May the Blessed One remember us as lay followers who have gone to him for refuge from this day forward for life.
0: The end.
1: So, um, that was what the Buddha taught to people who hadn't yet, even set foot on the path that he taught, but were wanted to know how. You know how do you how do you decide um, what actions are going to be wholesome and which are not? I found this um, in my own in my own practice. It's been very helpful and challenging. Um, Part of the appeal to me as a scientist is that I like the fact that there's that there's that it's not just. Um, well, I went to college and graduate school in the 70s, and there used to be posters that you could buy in poster shops about, you know, uh, if it feels good, do it. You know, kind of that sense of um, just kind of going by your own. Um, Oh, preferences or you know wh- what's what pleases you what what's comfortable that's obviously a deeply ingrained um, process for us all um, but so going beyond that requires a couple of things, and fortunately. In downloading this article by Tan Jeff about the Kalamas, it's sort of like the teacher's edition. He has the condensation in one paragraph at the beginning. <laughs> so he talks about um, one's own preferences are not to be followed simply because they seem logical or resonate with one's feelings. Instead, any viewer belief must be tested by the results it yields when put into practice. And to guard against the possibility of a bias or limitations in one 's understanding of these results, they must further be checked against the experience of people who are wise. The ability to question and test one 's beliefs beliefs in an appropriate way is called appropriate attention so having you know implementing in your practice appropriate attention how are you testing is what i 'm doing is this really leading to long-term happiness and well-being of myself and others, or am I kind of cutting ethical corners just to make life easier or, you know, more comfortable? So that testing is an important part, you know, kind of in a very as unbiased and um, honest way as possible. And then the ability to recognize and choose wise people as mentors is called having admirable friends. And he goes on um, that these are respectively the most important internal ex- and external factors for attaining the goal of practice. So, so the testing, I think for me the the testing of my actions often come up against um, a desire I have to lead an ethical life. You know, so when a difficult situation arises, um, can I be as honest with myself and others about what's going on as possible? So uh, write speech, I had an example just today. I was on a telecon with some of the NASA pilots and the Google pilots. They're going to do some maneuvers for me on Monday. And they said, well, you said you want us to fly as you know from the maximum altitude to as low as we can go. And they said, well, do you want us really to go down to 100 feet off the ground, <laughs> or would 200 feet be okay? So this is a DC-8 and a small trainer jet flying wingtip to wingtip. And they said, you know, we could do it, but, you know, that's it's kind of dicey doing it down to 100 feet. And I could see there was a certain greedy mind of, oh, I want that data as low as they can go. And um, when they asked, well, what do you really need? I had to say, you know, I don't really know for sure. I don't really know how much difference there's going to be there. So um, I need you you all to do what's going to be safe. Um, another place where I found, particularly early in practice, that I might have some difficulties, for example, with the precepts, with, with the guidelines, the, the training practices for ethical behavior was um, not intoxicating the body and mind with drugs and alcohol. And I find that that's an area where there can often be a lot of rationalization. Like, well, it doesn't say that you can't drink at all. You just are supposed to avoid heedlessness. And so that, that can lead to kind of a slippery slope. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, perhaps another kind of simple example is the, the precept about not taking life you know and so um, I was working in my office and normally it's pretty fly free but for some reason this quite large fly got into my office and would land right on the screen pretty much pretty much right where I wanted to look and uh, so I'll confess I took a couple swats at it (laughs) but flies can actually be pretty fast so Eventually, you know I went and I got a, a plastic cup and a piece of paper and I waited patiently and then I put it over the fly and, and stuck the paper underneath and carried the fly outdoors and released it and I remembered um, that it actually made me feel pretty happy to have just taken that extra care you know kind of cultivated that caring for living beings i don 't really know how what the karmic consequences are of killing a fly, but just that training of, of the heart and mind through, um, you know, seeing what would it take to be able to just um, respect life in that way. You know, that was one of the other ways. One of the other whole um, oh, practices of working against taking the shortcut, the ethical shortcut.
0: So would you say that, that what you just described, this quality is skillful, this quality is blameless, quality is praised by the wise, qualities when adopted and carried out lead to welfare and to happiness?
2: Yes, I would. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank you. And how about you? <laughs> no, I uh I just kinda wanted to um tie in a little bit about the Kalama Sutta I find it, there's, it's really rich there's a lot of things in here which we could delve in and talk about and I think Jim is talking about a good one is that um, what, what um, has authority for us like what, how do we decide what is the right thing to do or the, not the right thing to do, is it from scriptures, is it because our teacher tells us it's because we, it feels good, it's comfortable, or it's the precepts. And I think that's what the, um, Ton Jeff and his interpretation and the Buddha is trying to point towards here is that you can use, you can ask yourselves these questions when you know that these, it's skillful, blameless. For me, that's a very interesting thing. Blameless. Is there anybody that's going to say, Hmm, I don't think so. You really shouldn't have done that. right? That's kind of uh, something, is there anybody that's going to say that? That could be a, a way for us to examine what we're going to do. Would it be praised by the wise? If you know people who are wise, would they say, yeah, that was a good thing to do? Or do they lead to welfare and happiness? Not only for yourself, but for others, and ideally for yourself and others. Is a way to evaluate what to do and to use that as kind of the authority as opposed to this is what my preference is or this is what somebody told me or this is what's written down or this is the way I've always done it this is tradition the way my family's always done it the way our society's always done it or, or by um, Tan Jeff translates this expression logical conjecture I think most of us that find ourselves in this room are pretty smart people that can talk ourselves into and out of all kinds of things. So for me, that's why I find it's very useful to imagine, well, let's get back to blameless blameless or, or praised by the wise because I can rationalize and justify all kinds of things, just like kind of Jim was demonstrating for us, right? So it's often helpful to... See, like, okay, what would somebody else who has a different perspective, what would they think about this? Would we have to do some fast talking to convince them, yes, this was a good idea? Or, or is it clear that it was blameless and skillful?
1: Great. Yes.
0: Should we have? Can you use the microphone just so that all, everybody can hear? Thank you.
2: I, I heard the teacher, Joseph Goldstein, tell a story once that he was in a line at a retreat uh, for, 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 for a meal, and there was something that everybody liked. you like this? I, don't, I don't remember quite what the food was, but um, there was a sign that said, in moderation, please. And he looked at it, and he said, well how much of this can I take <laughs> and have it still be in moderation? <laughs> and I think, you know, when you're talking about heedlessness, it's the same sort of thing, you know, well, how much wine can I drink? How much food can I have? And it's still in in moderation and, you know, sort of what what's skillful and what's not. But um, I, I just always remember that's, that story that... Um, um, you know, how do you make those judgment calls? And what, what's your criteria? Mm-hmm. And just wanted to share that.
0: I think that question of how do you make those judgment calls is exactly what the Kalama Sutta is trying to say. Saying, is it skillful? Is it blameless? Is it praised by the wise? And in general, the Buddha is telling us if it's motivated or has underlying greed, hatred, or delusion... It's probably not skillful it's probably not wise but if it has non-greed non-hatred non-delusion underneath it it's probably something that is a good thing that is skillful
1: I was just looking through there was a, 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 an article by Bhikkhu Bodhi who is I think one of one of the other wise teachers that I've had access to he talks about um, Like, a person worthy of respect should have a sense of seven things. The Dhamma, so the teachings of the Buddha, its meaning, oneself, enough, the right time and place, social gatherings, and how to judge individual people. So, as you were saying, uh, I won't go through all of these right now, but... um, he writes on this: having a sense of enough applies primarily to your use of the requisites of life—food, clothing, shelter, and medicine—but it can also apply to intangibles, such as when you need less desire, effort, concentration, or thinking in your practice, and when you need more. You know, so that's that's one of those. Um, well, I think Tom and Jeff was describing. This practice, the wise person can be somebody that you sort of apprentice yourself to, somebody that you can see has developed these skills, these seven skills, and you can learn from either by sitting and talking to them or in traditional ways actually living in their monastery and kind of watching them moment to moment and, and learning um, non verbally, you know, so that watching another person to see, um, getting a sense of what's enough. Uh, I remember one time I was on retreat, and Gil was the teacher, and I'd watch how much food he put on his plate. <laughs> and I kind of thought, you know, like you know, on retreat, the entertainment portion of the the whole day are the meals. <laughs> That's kind of when you, you, you can kind of entertain yourself eating it. You know, he would talk about. It. He would just—he'd eat slowly till he just reached the point where he could feel that was enough. That was, you know, that was all—all all the food the body needed. And uh, you know, for me, the mind was just like, oh. On my first retreat, the food was so good. I mean, it was this woman Nancy was the cook. You know, it was just like. Mostly, what I found was, I would think, I wonder what other people are thinking about me taking this much food. Like, how much food can I take and not have people think that I'm a glutton? (laughs) So, um, you know, it takes some discipline and some learning, as Gil would teach me, that, well, it's really great. And then you go, like, after the the meal, you go and the next sit, you know, you're just fast asleep, you know, you're just dull and everything else so you know kind of really trusting that there's a uh, there's a payoff by learning this moderation
0: I think it needs to be turned on is the microwave is is it on?
3: Okay. Yeah, then just hold it like that. Our idols and stuff. You know, it's just that stuff makes me crazy. So I think this is very important that we do look at this and we try and decipher
0: those kinds of things for ourselves. And it's a struggle for me. I would say, um, I would also bow to you because I, I think all of us probably in this room experience that. And um, there's a teacher, Noah Levine, who um, kind of has named his, kind of, uh, his meditation center against this dream. Because that whole idea of what we're trying to do here is against what kind of society is often telling us that you know, more is better and has to be faster. It's not easy to, to be doing something different
1: and i think that i mean it's a wonderful place to practice because you can look at what is the payoff for following those dictates and what are the costs for following those dictates and how are you going to you know how are you going to decide um what's wise you know you know i mean part part of what the buddha was teaching here is Developing a sense of, um, you know, for yourself, being able to tune into what's it like when you're doing things because um, maybe you think you have to, so you'll feel, so you'll fit in, you know, maybe that desire to be accepted, you know, that that I don't think I don't think if we really if there was no payoff to following these we probably wouldn't do it right there's there's probably something so you know kind of tuning into what's what's driving our behavior and um i think we all want to be happy the the mm, goal of this is to develop the wisdom to be able to do it effectively, so um, you know be, really being willing to examine what our motivations are. Um, when I, I stopped drinking in well, exactly March 16th, 2000 <laughs> was the last time I drank. it was at a bowling alley in the uh, Westover Air Base um, but, you know, it was years when people would offer me drink. I mean, you know, i tell them, well, I've decided to stop drinking. And they'd still, I mean, you know, they'd still say, oh. I mean, even my father, I told my father I'd drink. And he didn't, for a long time, he was didn't drink either. And um, I don't know if they really couldn't comprehend that I didn't want to drink or... Whether there was some kind of, you know, whether there was a testing or whether they thought, you know, I, I bet he really does. And we just, you know, trying to be socially acceptable or something. So when it was clear in my mind, drinking is not going to lead me to the happiness that I'm seeking. And that came to me in, a, in an insight one night. Um, then... All of the other, all the other influences, and like all the other um, people offering things to me, it was very easy to politely decline. You know, I mean, I didn't do it in a way to, you know, try to um, have some sort of moral superiority or uh, anything else. It was just that it was clear to me that this, this is how I wanted to live.
0: I think that's great because you're um, bringing this back to the Kalama Sutta, is that you you kind of recognize that, oh, maybe drinking is, for me, unskillful, blameworthy, criticized by the wise, lead to harm and suffering. Therefore, I'm going to abandon them. So I think that what you said, Jim, is beautiful in the sense of Let's bring our practice to this. If we feel there's um, uh, encouragement, pressure to behave in a certain way, just examine. Okay, do we think this is going to lead to harm or do we think this is going to lead to benefit and welfare? Is this going to be considered skillful or unskillful? Wholesome or unwholesome? And this is a really fruitful place to be. Maybe sometime you'll say, oh, you know, I'm sure this is fine. And then you'll discover, oh, maybe it isn't. Or maybe the opposite. You'll think like, you know, I'm not, I don't think this is good. I'm not going to do it. But then maybe you'll discover there's a way that you can do it in a way that is uh, beneficial. So I think it's a beautiful place to practice, to kind of just um, what, to examine what the outcomes of the activities that we do. And when we feel pressure to do things that don't feel quite right, to imagine, okay, if I do this, will it be considered skillful and unskillful? Wholesome or unwholesome?
1: Yes, Jim, uh, could you give the microphone?
4: I think uh, one thing that... Uh Uh, most of us would also have uh, a question about is who to consider the wise that will praise or uh, deprecate something. Um, An example I can think of is the Buddhist wise would praise anything that um, represents a a rejection of killing anything alive or sentient beings anyway. Uh, But then what are sentient beings? Are mosquitoes in Africa that are carrying malaria? uh, Are they to be saved too? And some people who would, most of us would consider wise would say DDT netting and things like that have saved many, many lives of humans at the expense of the lives of the mosquitoes. So I think You know, these things are still up in the air.
0: Well, I'll say that there actually is a sutta addressing this very question. Like, how do you tell whether a teacher is a good teacher? How can you determine whether somebody is worthwhile listening to? And it's perhaps not surprising, the instructions that the Buddha gives is, hang out with this person, watch what this person says, and watch what they do and determine are they motivated by greed, hatred or delusion so i think that's pretty that's a one way to see to evaluate maybe it's not obvious how to do this what a person's motivations are or intentions and maybe it takes time to really watch them for a while but i kind of like this as a way to evaluate is a wise person will not be coming from greed, hatred, or delusion.
1: Now I don't know if that means that all of you are gonna go and knock on Gil's door and ask if you can live in his basement for the next five years <laughs> <laughs> to observe him. but. Um, I imagine, you know, one of one of the criterions that um it's maybe more instinctive is when you spend some time around somebody, do you trust them? Do they tr- do you trust that they're not trying to harm you? You know, either verbally or financially or physically. Um you know that's one of one of the um one of the ways that we can be generous to each other is by being ethical that by living an ethical life by really examining your intentions to live a harmless life you know including asking those questions what about the mosquitoes you know and and you know, I suppose there's a way that you you know you you can examine my my intention is to have the least harm to life, and then acting out of that, and so there isn't as I think in the in the in the sutta there was something about if your action led to the taking of life, but there wasn't an a, a, an intention to harm then then that's okay. You know, so, um, so by living an ethical life, then people, that sense that people know they can trust you, that they're not going to be harmed, that's a real gift. And I've noticed over the time that I've been practicing that more and more, I just get a sense of people being more, Interested in hanging out with me? I mean, I'm kind of an introvert, but you know that 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 really looking at am I going to harm them? That pe- that people um, naturally gravitate to that. So um, that's one of the ways you could look look for the wise are that sense of harmlessness. Okay, so uh, it's a little after nine. So I appreciate you all coming this evening. I appreciate your practice. And um, may you live an ethical and harmless life. Mm